One and all, welcome to the latest, the greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You are here with your host, Quandale Dingle. Today on the show, we've got a personal favorite author of mine. He's back for the three-peat. Albert Camus is breaking the plague. This is our first fiction of 2022, and it's barely fiction if you read the bio. Today, we got a haunting tale, human resilience, unrelieved terror, don't read this book in Braille, you're going to feel the horror coming. <laughs> it's the classic novel about an epidemic ravaging the people, in this case a North African coastal town called Oran. All the people are under constant fear, isolation, claustrophobia, quarantine. Camus says each person responds in their own way to the lethal disease. Some resign themselves to fate, some seek blame, and a few like Dr. Rue resist the terror. The characters that Camus crafts, Camus, in all of his books, they're these timeless archetypes. You're going to recognize the African Karen. You're going to recognize the person that's still quarantining. They say they found water on Mars. That's Mars 1, Africa 0. You know the fastest animal on Earth? It's the last chicken in a Kenyan village. We're going deep on philosophy today. Camus is the father of absurdism and sexistentialism, listen to this quote of his, perhaps the easiest way of making a town's acquaintance is to ascertain how the people live, work, and die. The truth is that everyone is bored and devotes himself to cultivating habits. Our citizens work hard, but solely with the object of getting rich. He's talking about the United States of Algeria. <laughs> it's a very relatable book now that we've all lived through Event 201. What would an absurdist use to go in disguise? Camouflage. <laughs> Event 201, it's a real thing. Go ahead, call me a Q-tard. It's told from a narrator just like us, a citizen. He's in the middle of a mass hysteria trying to piece together the truth of the day. I'm doing that every single goddamn week, so sit back and relax. Cook some popcorn before we start this narrative proper. About the author Albert Camus. We're skating through the intro today. We've already done this guy before. Make sure you're checking out Harry Schwant on Instagram. Hilarious memes. Patreon. White hot. And uh, odyssey.com. You could go find some of my hidden meme compilations. My failed YouTube posts. Unfortunately, that website keeps a permanent record. Yeah, Albert Camus. You've done him several times. You better be looking at my memes right now. <laughs> And our Patreon episode just went hard. You are being lied to. How about one more Africa joke? Because they're too easy of a target. <laughs> what do you call shoes in Africa with wheels? Swahili's. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Chapter 1, Albert Camus' The Plague. Oran Orthodoxy. This book is kind of like a... Fight Club. They don't tell you who the narrator is until the very end, so it's up for you to decide. I'll give you a hint. He's one of the first characters in this chapter. So in the Algerian city of Oran, Dr. Bernard Rue steps out of surgery and finds a dead rat lying on the landing of his office. In the following days, there's an increasing number of rodents staggering about in the open. They've got blood spurting out of their muzzles, foam coming out of their mouth. Dr. Rue is too occupied with his wife to think about all this. 
Everyone's got their own theories. Michel is this kid in town. He's the concierge for a building where Dr. Rowe works. He's convinced that the dead rats in the building have been placed there by pranksters. It's just the most irrational thing I've ever heard. Why would the rubber rats have foam coming out of their mouth? Dr. Rowe, his elderly asthma patient, is declaring that hunger has driven the rodents to die and open by the hundreds. Does this asthma patient also spurt blood out of the muzzle when he's hungry? Why would hunger cause these rats to die? Nobody's saying the obvious. There's a plot point here. You got a young journalist, uh, Raymond Rampert. He calls Dr. Rowe to discuss his current project, and it's all about the sanitary conditions of Oran. He also talks not so highly of the Arab population. It's probably the same demographic as London. Dr. Rowe's main concern before talking with Rampert is to make sure that Rampert is going to report the truth on the sad state of public sanitation. The doctor is like, don't put it in a uh, positive light for all the people in City Hall. you got to tell the truth out there. And the immigrants aren't the real problem this time. It's the rats. You see there's all these Camus layers of comparison. The Jews are rats. All that crap. Dr. Rue contacts Monsieur. He's the man in charge of the pest control. And he's going, you got some work to do here. There's rodents everywhere. Sanitation measures start to be taken. The public begins to feel uneasy because there's a flood of dying rats that continue to increase. So the sanitation thing did absolutely nothing. The public is uneasy. It's like uh, what the Irish immigrants came and we stopped calling the black people the N-word and we started calling Irish people the N-word. You need a new rat to come in town so that the Arabs aren't the problem anymore. Everybody forgot about black versus Asian crime during Corona. Dr. Rowe, he contacts Monsieur. It's getting uneasy still. You know, they're trying to put together more sanitation. They wind up doing this mass cremation, a mass grave for the rats. <laughs> sanitation department overestimated all the people's indifferences. Everyone's in denial about it. Every day they're having to do a rat holocaust. <laughs> Have you ever heard of, like, the New York garbage strike? That struck that chord in my mind. There was this time, I think in the 70s, where there was a union for the trash. So they're not getting paid enough. And within a week, trash was piled up to the first story windows in New York City. Uh, same day, Dr. Rue meets with Father Panelo. He's a Jesuit priest. He's escorting a feverish Michel back to his home. Michel's neck and armpits and groin are swelling. The doctor tells Michelle that he'll come back in the afternoon to take a look at him because he just got a call from an old patient. This guy Grand is calling to say, my neighbor tried to hang himself. So the doctor has to go take a look at this guy's brain. He wants to retract the call, but the doctor is going, no, I have to call the police now. I'll be there in a minute with the boys in blue. Fucking Dr. Rue. <laughs> Michelle's conditioning is worsening. The doctor should have probably been there for the immediate danger and Michelle winds up dying on the way to the hospital the suicide is going to come back and play later but yeah his main patient died great doctoring there the narrator finally introduces Tarot this guy's a vacationer in Oran he keeps notebooks it's like detailed records and observations of daily life in Oran one of his notes 
an old man periodically comes out onto a balcony opposite of my hotel to spit on the cats sunning themselves below. When the plague of dead rats entices the cats away, the old man seems greatly disappointed. What the hell are these people doing? Tarot makes friends at the hotel bar. The hotel manager, he's like in dismay at all the rats because he runs this three-star hotel and he takes no comfort in the fact that everybody's in the same boat even the one-star and the five-star hotels have to deal with dead rats he's snooping on all the other families from the balcony to row he says one of the chambermaids becomes sick with a strange illness and the manager of the hotel is saying this isn't contagious stay at my hotel longer Tarot has this reoccurring philosophical quote throughout the book. How do I not waste my time in Oran? I'm only here for a certain amount of time. He's the tourist. And this is going to be a question that everybody starts asking themselves. He's like less given the opportunity to meet new people. So he's going, that's usually how I would spend my time. So we'll dive deeper into that later. And I said before, they don't reveal the narrator. It's like that movie seven or the sixth sense you have to like read the whole book again when you finally realize the end i'm not going to give it away uh remember how the narrator was going the plague is a chronicle it's like a journalist our boy Camus' entire body of work is centered around the idea it's impossible to reach an objective truth and I hate this. Like, you think I only read people I like? This is retarded. You see feminists on Fox News going, 2 plus 2 equals 5, based on the fact there's no objective reality. You're not smart. Shut the fuck up. It's very annoying, these people that try to bend reality. And Camus is going, yeah, there's no truth, man. But his whole point is that the narrator is only going to tell the truth. <laughs> there is no truth, though. It's subjective. This is uh, not structured like the myth of Sisyphus. That's the one where he sets out to say that the only thing philosophers are good for is talking about suicide, and it's the truth. He's going to incorporate all of that like we've already seen. Here's a quote. The lives of Oran's people are entirely circumscribed, circumcised. Every day they follow the same routines of work, movies, cafes, and shallow love affairs. He's got all these doom and gloom quotes, all these edgy teens thinking everybody's sad. It's true. Everyone assumes that it is someone else's responsibility to take care of the swarm of dying rats. No one wants to depart from his or her comfortable, isolated routine to deal with the problem. And you saw the same thing in the first year. Um, you know, the emotion is there for a reason. You're supposed to feel the narrator's frustration with the whole situation. Because they're just wasting time. At this point, we know there's a plague or something going around. Wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. I feel like we could have been over this by now. But no, it's 2022 when people are still scared of COVID-19. <laughs> Dude. It does make me laugh. <laughs> okay, one more quote for the chapter. One does not waste time only when one is always aware of time. He muses that he can only make oneself aware of time by indulging in intricate, frustrating, complicated routines. It's meaningless. All these routines we make for ourselves, it's to make us think we're living when it's quite the opposite. So we're going to check back in with all these fellas, move along to chapter two, state of emotionlessness. Dr. Rue. He's urging the head of the medical association and this other guy, Dr. Richard, Dr. Dick. He's ordering new cases of the disease. 
to be put into the isolation ward. So we got a Cuomo situation here. <laughs> you could kill old people if you want to. He forwarded the decision to someone called The Perfect. So forget about Dr. Dick. The Perfect is a much more relevant character. And uh, do we know anybody in 2020 who was a government employee that was paid more than the president? We'll call that guy The Perfect so that we don't ruffle any of the left's feathers. The Perfect. <laughs> Quote, a spate of rainy weather produces a moody listlessness in the population. Mood is down, emotionlessness. Dr. Rue and Grand meet with the police inspector for the inquiry into that neighbor's attempted suicide. Neighbor's name is Cotterd. Cotterd. Bark, bark. Is uh, Grand. He's going. They're going to arrest him for attempted murder. Attempted murder on himself. <laughs> The inspector is chastising Cotter. He's going, you know, other people's peace was disturbed by you. And this guy was found passed out in a noose days later. It's like nobody noticed what peace was disturbed. <laughs> he created more peace. Uh, yeah, you'll get chastised for anything is Camus' whole thing here. We're going to read his book, The Rebel, eventually. Back in the office, Dr. Rue He's examining swellings on the neck, armpit, groins of new people, just like how a Mercerier died, whatever that French pussy was. Narrator points out, the newspaper that made such a fuss over the rats are strangely silent regarding the disease. So it was a fun, enticing clickbait story when it was about dead rats, and now it's about actual people dying. It's too much fear. Like, we maxed out the fear over the past year. You can only be into that storyline for so long. And now, like, nobody cares about the Ukraine storyline. I'm tuning out. This season sucks. They're going to bring back the animal deaths. Like, in China, they're already euthanizing cats. Castle, this is a, another colleague, like Dr. Dick, he's speculating that the disease is probably the bubonic plague. And he predicts the colleagues in the city government are going to try to deny the obvious there's nothing happening you don't need to wear masks like obviously they gave everybody pneumonia <laughs> but um you lied to us so i'll never trust you again despite continuous periodic outbreaks of the plague people tend to hold on to the view that you know it's a temperate climate this is going to pass over people are optimistic in some weird way or maybe just in denial even though Dr. Rowe, he's like personally seen several fatal cases, he's going, the events seem unreal to me. He's been right there face to face with it, and it still doesn't feel real to him. So even the doctor is in denial. He says uh, plagues and wars happen all the time. People expect it just won't happen to them. For the neighborhood boys, you got like a bunch of tomfoolery going on between Grant and Cotterd. Cotterd is going, Dr. Rue. The number of deaths are on the rise. I'm on the streets more than even the cops in the cafes and you in the doctor's office. Grand is getting sad himself because Cotter decides to go away. Remember at the beginning of it, Cotter tries to kill himself and now everybody's getting sad, he sees. And he's like, I just got to get the hell out of here. And he ditches his friend Grand. So Grand will have a project of his own. Here's a quote. 20 years ago, when Grand accepted his job, he was promised advancement to better paying positions. However, the man who promised him the possibility of advancement has died. <laughs> so now Grand might try to kill himself also because his pension is in question. 
even he's unsure of time like time really fucks with your head is the real underlying theme here grand is saying if he wasn't working all that time to get his retirement like what is the satisfaction even worth anymore that didn't make sense dr rue intuits himself grand might be narrating the book himself so we've got two suspects grand and rue are like wait you're writing about this me too more people are going to start writing about it the whole plot line there is how the suicidal guy cottered he was always paranoid to begin with <laughs> that's probably why he took that attempt on his own life he's paranoid as fuck like the plague is going to destroy people like him with paranoid ass minds i need to wipe down my groceries the friend cottered and grant are each other's escape they were the normal guys and they would beer together and now they're too busy trying to one guy's learning latin and going to see the world and uh grant is writing his book so dr rue writes to paris requesting for a plague serum he's seeing that everybody has no hope he's going uh, nih wuhan lab you need to send us something meanwhile his colleagues are waging war against wait and see so the government is going, yeah, just sit in your house. And the doctors are going, we might be able to fix this. Remember the beginning of this? You don't remember anything past two days in this world. But Don't Look Up came out the beginning of this year. Everybody was fucking obsessed with it. It basically plagiarized this book. There's the table at the end who wants to talk about the comet that is obviously coming to destroy the world. And then there's people who just want to talk about uh, the perfect and the talking heads, the gossip. And so there's these two tables that exist, the wait and see, and the people who are just in complete denial. Dr. Rue, he's urging that immediate measures need to be taken to deal with problems in the future, and the newspaper is beginning to make it a more pressing issue. Like you see now, the NIH theory would have got me kicked off the internet a year ago. The journalists are a year late. And it's the same thing Camus is saying. The newspapers are finally on the pressing issues. You're not the journalists. I am. And I'm not me, obviously. I get my information from fucking Whitney Webb and Substack. Like, the, the journalists aren't journalists. So the serum of the plague has taken a while to get to Oran. Dr. Rue finally realizes that he is afraid. And this is a big deal. The doctor who's face-to-face -face with it, he admits it. Dr. Rue modifies his stance on the whole uh, thing when he sees an asthma patient. You remember asthma patient thought that they were dying of hunger. He speculates that the disease is an outbreak of cholera. And he goes, people seem nervous and jittery. So maybe this is a side effect of ingesting poop, cholera. Or maybe it's just mass formation psychosis. You know, people go crazy when things like this happen. Finally, Dr. Rue demands the perfect takes real control of the measure. Get on TV and tell people they need 10 vaccines. The perfect goes on TV. It's a rising epidemic. Time passes. People get even more sad. The serum arrives, and it's not adequate. The immediate cases get worse, and everything, like, people get even more sad. I know I could have drawn that out for five minutes. It was a big plot point. But we lived it. You need five vaccines and then they wean off after six months. What kind of a product is this? The narrator goes, peace of mind for most people in Oran means not having to deal with the suffering of other people. 
That's what it is. I'm vaccinated, so now I can go to a concert and I don't have to worry about the swine, the rats. That's all it is. It's people protecting themselves. This is not a virtuous act. They do not want their comfortable habitual routine disturbed. <laughs> it's selfish. <laughs> the doctor told them to take real measures. The people don't listen. <laughs> like the serum isn't enough. You actually have to take sanitary measures. Even when the government posts warnings all over the cities, the posters become like obtrusive. People start ripping them down. I don't want to look at this. It's disturbing my routine. Whatever, man. The narrator, he's going, Dr. Rue realizes that human beings have too much faith in rationality to appreciate the threat of an impending catastrophe. People are always going to do their own thing. Even if you have the perfect and the federal government and unelected officials, the WHO in control, it's people are going to do their own thing. These super movements never work because people are individuals. There, I just summarized every book for you. To end the chapter, there's a sharp spike in deaths. People are finally prompting the authorities to do something. And the state declares a plague and a quarantine on the town. So they're going back to the act of God point. I don't want to get kicked off of YouTube here. <laughs> Go look at the germ versus terrain theory. No one has seen this shit under a microscope. I'm talking too much. Bleep that. Viral outbreaks are super hard to tell who will and won't get sick from. It's almost um, not rational. And like his quote said before, we can't predict impending catastrophe because it is irrational. We used to call it an act of God, but you're crazy if you say that now. When Camus wrote this, it wasn't crazy. Quote, there is no rational or moral meaning behind a plague epidemic. Its choice of victims is completely impartial. There is no rational or moral reason why people like Grand should or should not die from the plague. Seriously, you've been in the room with people who had SARS-CoV-2 and nothing happened. It's, <laughs> I don't know, man. Let's go to chapter three, Ornery Oran. The public reacts to their unexpected isolation with an intense longing for loved ones outside. They're over the sadness and now they're getting ornery. I need to fucking move. The government responds, their mailing service stops. So everyone's like mailing their loved ones in France. I need to come see you. And the government goes, mail is shut down. Censorship is starting. <laughs> uh, the narrator goes, the public is settling into a grim acceptance of exile. They cease to ponder a hopeful future. <laughs> so the copium is being cut off. Maybe this was why everyone right now is apathetic like if someone was caught speculating the epidemic will last for only six months Camus goes he or she was quickly scolded for there being no reason why it should not last any longer <laughs> so this is really when the turn takes place what do you mean it's only two weeks to flatten the curve we need to underwhelm the hospitals and save grandmothers it's forever the people like they make this their identity now he's saying they've achieved fucking full mass formation it's um like they're minimizing the plight of others was a big point he was trying to make. Again, it's just all about yourself. This is disturbing my day. So if it means we get a vaccination, we go back to normal, that's what you have to do. And what those people don't see is that governments are lying-ass motherfuckers. Thoreau writes, quarantined in his hotel, he says, 
Contemplation of the present provokes helplessness, impatience, and the past provokes regret. So ornery is the name of the chapter. I'm embodying it well. The people are going, fuck, time is starting to run out. Fuck, I wasted the first year of the pandemic. Fuck, it's just going to keep going on. You're provoking regret by looking into the future and the past. And I don't know if this is a psyop. I do. (laughs) Maybe this is made to just keep you in a state of limbo where you don't know anything about the past, the future, or the present. And it works. It makes people go crazy. Uh, there's an existential hold here, so you know Camus is going to put his sexistentialism in there. In mass hysteria, you have the ability to turn that into an enlightenment. It's just whoever's in control of the information at the time. Like, uh, Oran is described by the narrator, the selfish obsession with personal distress prevents widespread panic. The cafes and the movie theaters enjoy brisk business because the ideal public needs to occupy its time. So, like, um, you know how the government encouraged us to snitch on each other? You get $500 if you see somebody at the park. They're making it so you only look out for yourself, where it could have been, let's start a community garden during this time. Nah, fucking snitch. <laughs> Grant, he meets with Dr. Rue. He's explaining why his marriage failed. And he continues uh, to other loved ones. He's going, none of them worked. Eventually... I worked so hard that I forgot to love the ones that I was with. And this isn't really that deep. It is Japan. Seppuku, people kill themselves from working hard. Yeah, was that what you were happy to spend your time with? Not Grant. So now this guy Grant, he's writing a book because he doesn't have a lover, he doesn't have his buddy, and he can't go to the movie theater. So this commoner... I'll just spoil this one. He doesn't finish the book. He's like an an idiot, Grant. But at least he's trying something with his time. He's not squandering it. He's like going, I want to be a writer. I've been penning this girl for years. And I'm going to try to turn that into a book. <laughs> his love notes. And the post office is shut down now. So his method for writing, the only way he knew how to do it is gone. So now this guy is on the ledge as well. Um, bro, you really think that the new fucking ministry of truth is a positive? <laughs> like, that's going to make more people feel like they have less of a voice. And like Martin Luther King said, the v- riot is the voice of the unheard. I don't care about getting philosophical, bitches. I called all of this. A year ago, I said there was going to be a reality czar. And now it's called the misinformation, the disinfo bureau. I'm done learning your fucking Orwellian doublespeak. There is truth and there is lies. I am not abiding to your realities are. I will be here telling truth versus your lies. Seriously, there's misinfo... Stop listening to these people. They're just controlling your brain. Meanwhile, the newspaper writer Rambert in Oran, he's trying to uh, determine his own escape route so that he could see his wife in Paris. He tells the authorities that he's got this, like, journalist pass to leave, and they station him there for good. So not even the authorities can leave is the whole point here. And, yeah, it's a big precedent to be set that we don't even have that in today's world. Fucking Gavin Newsom in French Laundry and his winery was open the entire time. Uh, Boris Johnson was caught going to a party, and then he had to get rid of their things. Literally, this shit is timeless. I'm dumb just reliving these scripts. Can we learn? Rampart, he's pissed. He's publicly accusing Dr. Rowe of using the language of abstraction. 
So you see the government authority, the guy in control of the newspaper is now calling Dr. Rowe, Dr. Malone. You're not allowed to talk about hydroxychloroquine. That's using language of abstraction. It's just heresy. And so you see the same exact thing. The Spanish flu, people. I'm going to lose my mind. We're on chapter three. <laughs> Rampart comes around. He's going to all the bar keeps. He's going, you know, it's illogical for you to keep your speakeasies open at this time. I went to a speakeasy in Golden, Colorado in 2020. That was one of the best experiences. There were guys playing cards in the back. Like, it actually felt like the fucking frontier again. I want there to be split societies. All right. <laughs> the beds in the emergency hospital are filling up. Everybody's screaming about the ventilators. Dr. Rowe is evacuating patients from their homes to isolate them from their families. So like before, the perfect was mixing all the old people and the sick people together. Dr. Rowe, the actual experimentational doctor, was saying, stay away from your family. You're not allowed to go to a, <laughs> a funeral. Everyone from the writer to the doctor, the working man, they're all super ornery. And the narrator said, Oran's people lack the imagination to communicate their suffering to other people. They were consistently bored before the pandemic. <laughs> that's very funny yeah like people some people realized how bored they were beforehand but some people just filled their boredom with hate <laughs> so this authoritarian logic is increasing increasing with time you can't even talk to people now dr Rue says the plague requires an all-or-nothing attitude if the authorities of Iran are to prevent it from spreading to other cities so, like, seriously, if we're going to pretend that we are in this mass society and we all care about each other, then you have to take action from day one. And remember, we knew people were dying in China and we waited. You get it. The big duality for the chapter is that Dr. Ru has made the plague his concern. Everyone else is seeing it as a passing phenomenon. And this doctor is like, no, it's my responsibility. So who's right here? Is this just something that happens in the course of history, or is this a doctor's job? The plague concerns everyone on Iran, whether they want to admit it or not. Everybody is concerned. It's just, is it my responsibility? <laughs> the plague is an abstraction, like existing outside and beyond itself. The everyday man couldn't write to his wife, and they probably start thinking about suicide again. Rambert, who sees himself as a pawn rather than someone who can affect the outcome of his own life, he took his own future into his own hands. I think I said Rampert Cottard. Like, when you don't know past, present, or future because of the psyop, it's when people start killing themselves. You take your own future into your own hands the only way you can. I'm not being Arthur Fleck the Joker here. That's Camus' view on suicide. Uh, and so, like that could be killing yourself slowly through work and food and chips. Dr. Rue is at the top of his hierarchy. He internalizes this abstraction. The plague is me. I am the plague and I have to cure myself. Sure, Doc. <laughs> Often lib personalities diametrically opposed in these situations. Let's go to chapter two, chapter four. Panic at the Fisco. I tried to win a heaven you people never heard of. Panic at the Fisco. The Fisco is the name of the treasury. That's a great name. 
yeah, so there's no more quarantine. The government has given up. <laughs> the economy is about to feel the plague. On Sunday, Father Polo, he delivers a sermon. It's a packed church. What? But there's an epidemic! And Iran citizens are repenting for their faith. So they're at, like, the BLM phase. Rampert, he's continuing his efforts. He's persuading the authorities to allow him to leave Iran. And he's hopeful to hear that they're organizing his paperwork. He finds out that they're not getting the paperwork to send him there. It's just in case he dies. So now Rampert, all-time low. They're amazed that the bureaucracy is able to function this much but they're not actually able to get people out of the town or really do anything to save lives. They're just getting death certificates together. At mass, <laughs> Grant explains to Roe, in writing his book, he wants to create a flawless manuscript. And the narrator goes, the way to get work as a writer is pushing a narrative. <laughs> so Grant, the commoner, remember, he's trying to write his love notes it doesn't nobody's ever going to fucking read that you need to have a take and a narrative so far grant has succeeded in creating a rough draft and his opening line unfortunately they didn't read it in the book dr rue had to put it down he's going did you write this when you were drunk <laughs> i haven't touched that goddamn thing Grant, he's going, uh, we got to write this flawless manuscript. <laughs> and doctor's like, it ain't going to happen. Just enjoy your time. Hey, overall, the mood of Oran, he's drifting towards hysteria. Yeah, because they realize the government isn't helping anymore. Okay. Summer is descending on Oran. It's accompanied by, like, scorching heat, which everybody thinks is going to make the disease worse. Opposite, cold weather makes it worse. Quote, when the sound of groaning victims drift out to the street, no one stops to listen in pity. Damn, that's a whole new level of lethargy. People are dying in the street. Bring out your dead. Checking him with Tarot, the guy that he used to spy on from across the street. He's no longer there. He said uh, the cats have all been shot, the cats that the guy used to spit on. So straight up, that's where China's at. Tarot, he lost all hope for the government. He's, yeah, just like everybody else. He's going to Othon. The city magistrates continues to dine at the hotel, even though his wife has been quarantined. So, yeah, like I just said, fucking <laughs> Boris Johnson and all these people don't actually play by their own rules. Rose's asthma patient gives the real truth about the topsy-turvy statistics Although there are more doctors than patients, the death toll continues to rise. I have begun to believe that you can't fix everything. Wow, so that's the doctor finally saying it. We have the most doctors on hand that I have ever seen, and we're still not able to save anybody. It's the power of Western medicine right there, baby. Camus, he's really good at irony. He's got the quip in Pelot's sermon. He's going, death is an irrefutable fact of human existence. No human science can save a doomed victim from the plague. I don't know, man. Plagues are really something else. What if we just lived through the fucking rapture, people? <laughs> like, you can still prepare between all the variants that we had. The U.S. never expanded their hospitals. That's why we fucking closed down in the first place the whole economy for hospitals. Why aren't we building more? It makes no sense. The whole point Camus is making is that 
most people in Oran were waiting for their death before the plague anyway. Like I crudely said before, motherfuckers kill themselves with chips. The asthma guy found out how to live off of Medicare for free. And so Dr. Rue makes all these internalizations. You see, he had a motivation to live. He found his own way outside of Compared to Michelle, who was just a, a door boy. Yeah, so he was sad. Rue is starting to get fucking metaphysical. He thinks that plagues are acts of God and that people's jobs kill them. It's fucking wild. The doctor is even going hippie. Both ways of life, living off the dole and putting in an honest days of work. The asthma guy and Michelle, he says both are ultimately isolating and stultifying. Both are meaningless. Damn. <laughs> okay, Kierkegaard. Is a real deep point. He kind of spoils the next Camus that we're going to read, The Rebel. The whole sermon he was getting across here, the plague, is neither a rational nor a moral disaster. It's random. It's not a fucking rapture like I just joked about. It's random. Hence, the only meaningful thing to do, you got to rebel against it. Like life, death, it's kind of random. Rebel against death. That's what he's saying. Um, I don't know if I agree with it. Tarot finds a new guy in the street to start uh, interviewing. He's doing Mark Twain, follow around the biggest bum and write about him. The schizo bum told him the government executed all the neighborhood cats. Like he was following around these <laughs> whatever exterminants. Damn, that's pretty funny. He goes, quote, he detests watches, so he marks time by moving peas from one saucepan to another. This guy's more interesting than anybody with their little routine habit. <laughs> I wish more people actually went crazy during the pandemic rather than became a political ally or whatever. <laughs> Since reporter Rampart won't, Tarot, the journalist, he starts publishing what's called the Plague Chronicles. So he launched it under the guise of providing informed commentary on the pandemic. And so Rampart who is in control of the mainstream media, he starts slandering it as infallible anecdotes. Holy shit! This is another script of history. Like when Mark Twain started doing his own thing and people wanted to read his wacky stories, all of the main papers were like, none of his stories are true. You need to read about the price of bullion and silver every morning. Mark Twain's like, no, enjoy yourselves. Read about something funny. So fucking, yeah, Tarot is doing the same exact thing, falling around cat assassins. And Ramper is going, that's fake news. Only people inside the CNN building know the truth. So while hysteria rises, the media war is ramping up. And so does the economy, which is going to bore you. But yeah, that was a good name of a chapter, Panic at the Fisco. <laughs> the narrator said, quote, the public spends extravagantly costs on meals and expensive wines at restaurants. So yeah, while everything's getting worse, everybody's getting more fucked up. That's uh, maybe the end of the rising action, so we need the shit to hit the fan. Two more chapters of falling action. This one is called Deceitful Decency. <laughs> so the serum from Paris is arrived. They got a second one. They got the Sputnik shot, and it's proved ineffective. The plague turns pneumonic. It's the Omicron era. <laughs> it's the bigger implication is you can't stop the spread anymore. It's airborne, but keep abiding to our rules. 
Roe thinks that his wife is lying about the state of her health in her telegrams. And, yeah, that's stagnant. Um, that was kind of a plot point that I skipped over before. Dr. Rue, you might think he's the real scientist trying to fix it. He's taking the plague as his responsibility. He sent his wife out of the town to quarantine. Like, he's got special treatment also. Um, he has to run a new plan by the other doctors and all of them fucking excommunicate him from the scene. So he really does become... Uh, Leo DiCaprio in that movie Don't Look Up Dr. Rue says you know it can't hurt to actually try some of our sermons out here sorry serums and yeah that'll never work by the end of the book you can't fix a fucking bioweapon <laughs> so while he's making serums uh, Father Panelo is making sermons he states the plague's victims suffering invoke the idea of collective punishment so you got Dr. Rue saying, yo, this is random. I've been in the room with people dying. I don't know how it's spreading. This shit is random. And then Dr. Uh, the fucking priest is like, no, this is collective punishment from God. So we know what the priest is going to say the entire time. But you see Dr. Rue did the entire circle of ideas. He's been everywhere and now he's going back to, dude, this is kind of fucking random. Big dialogue here. Tarot asks Rue, do you believe in God? So this is a journalist acting a doctor. Do you believe in God? And he avoids the question by explaining, you know, the sermons that I've been hearing, it doesn't acknowledge that the suffering is firsthand. So <laughs> I have the luxury of believing in truth. Like he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. This scientist can't have God because he's seen too much of the truth. Bro, God's an asshole. <laughs> Effort is useless. Like he's saying, I there's nothing we could do at this point. Just go on with your life. So yeah, that's what the doctor told the journalist. You can't really publish that sound, boy. Boy, it's not going to get you on Doctor Phil. <laughs> Tarot's plan is proving effective. He's going. We need to publish this news into the Plague Chronicles so that everybody stops deferring to authority there is no authority this is randomness to Roe he's going Roe hesitates to exaggerate the importance of the volunteers efforts because it makes them seem like he doesn't have it under control <laughs> so Tarot can't like you can't condemn the doctor in the papers because it makes other people feel bad about their volunteer work <laughs> And, you know, if you feel bad, you should go help other people. Victory Frankl, the search for meaning. Like, what if the charity is bullshit? <laughs> if I give my dollar to a hobo, at least I know where that dollar is going. He's just going to spend it on drugs. So was I. Cottard, he becomes a smuggler. He's making all kinds of acquaintances in the criminal underworld. So I think throughout the entire plague, this guy who tried to kill himself at first, he actually has the best arc. Cotterd, he becomes this like underground six mafia of fucking smugglers and bank robbers. He finds a man who can smuggle Rampert out of the city. <laughs> so yeah, he, like Rampert was a shithead who was posting fake news, but Cotterd's like, I'm all about the dollar now. I want this guy out of our city. He waits a couple days. He sets up a couple coyotes to get Rampert over the city wall. And, yeah, Dr. Rue is chiming in. <laughs> like, he's the confidant. Everybody tells him what's going on. 
He says, this is coming from somewhere deeper than the lack of manpower. The fact that the journalists don't want to stay and cover the juiciest story ever. Everybody just wants to get the fuck out of there. The escape hits a snag for a couple weeks. So Cotterd and the doctor try to get him to post some anti-plague stories to get people out of a state of fear. And he's like, no, just get me out of here. So this guy will die a horrible death. Cotterd's entire backstory comes out here. Quote, I stopped believing in heroism after taking part in the Spanish Civil War on the losing side. He's going, everyone in war is a villain. (laughs) Holy shit, man. This guy is woke in the real sense. We're going to have that book, Homage to Catalonia. George Orwell went on the front lines of the Spanish Civil War. He's like, there isn't a right side in war. Everybody is looking out for themselves. It's kind of like a pandemic. Nobody's right. You can go outside, but yeah, you'll spread it or you could stay. Nobody's right. Stop acting virtuous. So everybody gets into a big fight. Can you truly die for an idea? Like uh, Roe is going, of course you can. I am dying to save the pandemic. And Cotterd, who has actually been in war, is like, no, dude. (laughs) You might convince yourself you are, but it's random. Doesn't fucking matter. Roe insists that fighting the plague is heroic. It's a matter of common decency. So it finally comes out that Roe is a little perfect in his own sense. We can do it if we all just had a little common decency. Bro, I thought you just said that this is beyond our control. He's inconsistent. Fuck this guy. Rampart goes on. It's what your wife in the sanatorium a hundred miles probably would have said. Oh, shit. He just got called the fuck out. (laughs) The journalist was like, wait. Doctor, isn't your wife outside of the city walls? Didn't you smuggle her out? Yeah, but half of the people in the world will still believe him. (laughs) Quote, as a species under the slightest bit of pressure, common decency evaporates. So Cotter just starts dropping bombs out here. And he's not even in the running to be the author for the book. He just well lived and experienced. And he goes, it's all because we're undereducated. This has nothing to do with acts of God and shit. If we all just understood that there's stuff beyond our control, we would stop fighting. Quote, the capacity for good deeds, he asserts, exists in every person. Not a few noble, exceptional people. <laughs> Otheo, Dr. Rue, and the perfect aren't the only heroes that are capable of saving us. It's inside all of us. We could all just be better. While some people do massive donations, some people do good deeds during these times, it's the little acts that add up over time. (laughs) Like he said, I don't know. He went too far. He called out the doctor's wife. So now Dr. Roos going to go fucking madman, evil scientist, take us to chapter six, crematorium credulousness. This is the shortest chapter by a long shot. I think we're going short today, but we've heard enough about plagues for, I think, a decade. Uh, Oran survived a bubonic plague, and they did it without mRNA technology. It's basically over. By mid-August, the public begins to view the plague as a collective disaster. And the phrase that circulates is, impartial justice. 
why did this happen? Nobody knows. It's just impartial justice from the ether. Like, there's 20-year-olds that are collapsing on soccer pitches. Hmm, is that the antidote or is it the virus? It's funny because all plagues are equalizers. Like, rich people die, poor people die. It's impartial justice. We don't know what happens. I actually think that's real justice, so fuck your philosophical phrase. Like, he's trying to sound smart. This is exactly what Klaus Schwab did in the the pandemic book, The Great Reset. He's going, this is actually a great unequalizer. You see, rich people are going to have to take control. And it's all doublespeak to try to get you to give up your autonomy. And this is exactly what this fuck Dr. Rue is saying at the end. We just need a little common decency. Buddy, the plague came and it went. Everything you said didn't matter. Literally, this guy was just annoying the whole time. <laughs> when there's no longer uh, space in the cemetery, they start cremating all the bodies and the plague um, has like a symbolic end because that's what they did to all the rats. Remember at the beginning they had that mass grave and so we'll burn all the people's bodies and then forget about it. And then another plague will come along and we'll get lied to about it again. And then we burn the bodies and the cycle starts anew. The narrator writes, the memories of absent loved ones fade as the public sinks into despondency. <laughs> it was like too much for the mind of the average person, so they just went back into mongoloid mode, staring at a blank screen. The residents of Iran, he says, speak to their pain to others. <laughs> So, yeah, they just start complaining to each other. Well, during my pandemic, it was so bad. I had to learn how to make banana bread. Be interesting. Start trafficking drugs or fight in a civil war. Comes full circle. All they could do is bitch and moan. <laughs> like it's always been. <laughs> the mystery for the novel, Who is the Narrator? It comes out in a 100% Camus voice. Quote, the community begins to see itself as a true community, united in a profound experience, made perhaps more profound and leveling for the very reason that it is absurd. <laughs> Absurdism intensifies. This guy loves it. A little bit of polarities. Things don't make sense. You go from one extreme to another in life, <laughs> and that's what the pandy is. Grant, he has a couple final things to say here. He's continuing to ask the doctor about his wife. Uh, yeah, I guess he doesn't have much to say. Tarot, he devotes a great deal of attention towards Cotterd in his notes. He's going, I always lived in fear, but my buddy who killed himself, he obviously had no fear. He died and lived again. Yeah, all that shit. Not trying to glorify the fucking people who killed themselves here. The same way Cotterd used to expect that everyone was a cop, the masses are now paranoid that everybody is a vector of disease. So, like, everybody is finally at the point where Cotterd was. It just took more stress for them to get there. Tarot went to see a local play, and he's pointing out that women would usually leave out of fright during this point in the play, but everyone's staying so it really did affect the psyche of the masses. Everybody's a little bit hardened. The narrator, he's doing an aside how Oran people flock to movies and cafes to feel less alone, but they're unwise to assume that mutual escapism really constitutes a breach of collective isolation. That's a douchey quote. It got too technical at the end. But are you really 
it's that book alone together where everybody's just on their phones and shit. You got to like talk to people. Gay Rampart finally escapes the town and like he could have just waited an extra week. So he wasted thousands of dollars. And remember that guy was a fake news motherfucker. That's the price he has to pay. Unfortunately, this isn't like a Dostoevsky book where people actually have to pay their punishment at the end. <laughs> then you got Roe. The doctor, he's so mad at this point. The only way he's able to blow off steam is going and yelling at the priest. This is your fault. You needed to pray harder and tell God to stop. Like, literally, this guy has lost his mind. He thought that he was a doctor and his whole reason to be on earth is to save lives but <laughs> dog maybe health is an internal thing and so Roe is like he's supposed to symbolize the rational man and throughout the lifetime the rational man just keeps getting broken down and battered and bruised you can't be rational here this shit is fucking random or you have to believe in god there i'm giving you a final philosophical duality and dr Rowe, you know this is what happens to the rational guy in the end <laughs> you will succumb the narrator notes at this point the public shifted its attention from religion to superstition the sermons were getting less participants but people were feeling overall more spiritually so is this a positive or a negative less people are attending mass more people are spiritual uh, yeah, and nobody's going to the doctor. <laughs> Pan low, the sermoner, he goes, The unanswerable question of an innocent child suffering is God's way of placing the Christians back to a wall. And this is an entire philosophical can of worms. I'm seeing that we do have another chapter after this. Gotty! Um, yeah, bro, so while the doctor seriously goes mad here, the everybody's starting to get spiritual to end the second to last one rose asthma patient gleefully declares that the rats are back the boys are back in town so there's the symbolic circle the rats are back the the doctor is going to start doctoring again the priest is going to be your intermediary between god the rats are back <laughs> chapter seven Oh, ran and out. <laughs> the population hesitates to show any hope in response to the declining death rate. It shows that people are just overly cautious. They're paranoid, I would say. And, um, no, you have to be cautious about danger at every angle. They're controlling you. Nothing is about fucking danger. Smoking. Yeah, it's about danger and controlling your health. Oh, you could still buy the cigarettes. No, they just want to control where you smoke. Everything, people. Death rates are questionable because, like Roe said, doctors can classify people as questionable deaths. I don't know. This is misinformation or some shit. I can't talk about it. I will never trust another statistics because Bill Gates has the book on his bookshelf lying with statistics. <laughs> These people are motherfucking liars. <laughs> liars. The hope continues high for a little bit. For all except Cotterd, who now becomes distressed at the signs of the end of the plague. No, the rats are back! <laughs> when Tarot walks home, two men who look like government employees start approaching Cotterd, and he flees. 
So this shows he's at his full paranoid state again. Tarot falls ill with the plague. Dr. Rowe and his mother are able to start caring for him. And Tarot vows to fight for his life, but he asks Rowe be entirely truthful about his condition. And of course, you're dying, bub. So it's a real sad story. Tarot was the one journalist that we were able to trust. He did the Plague Chronicles, and now he's going to die at the hands of Dr. Rowe. Tarot is sending telegrams out like, yo, I'm not going to make it, everybody. At least we're allowed to communicate again. The fucking post office is open. So I'm happy I'm able to tell you that before I die. And so a whole couple pages goes on, and Tarot has a miraculous recovery. So, like, the reporter who was an a-hole lost money, the reporter who told the truth was able to come back from the clutches of death. And as for Dr. Rowe, hmm, what kind of fate do you think he deserves? I mean, he internalized what was injustice, a crazy random act. I think that's something that God would probably be mad at you at. It's called hubris. It turns out, Dr. Rowe's wife dies. <laughs> so yeah, he has a super sad ending as well because he didn't totally succumb to the wrath of God. That's what all these fucking old writers love. <laughs> so Rowe starts lashing out on people. Remember, he just went crazy. He doesn't have his God. He doesn't have his science anymore. So he starts going, you know, that asshole Cotterd, his only real crime was approving of something that killed people. He's going, you think that guy's so cool he actually lived? Well, 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 he wanted there to be a pandemic. It's like, okay, he wanted there to be an interesting time. I don't really care if there's a fucking bomb that goes off. <laughs> and Even if it's on my town, it's something for you guys to talk about it and I die really quick. Like I said, Ukraine is boring. Let's start dropping the mini-nukes. <laughs> His only real crime was approving of something that killed people. How is that a crime? He didn't make the thing that killed people. You know what I'm saying? That's not a crime. Dr. Rowe is now getting into law and order because he doesn't have God or fucking science. <laughs> you see the memes. <laughs> Men in their 20s succumb to one of these personalities. And it's like you become a fucking cop, you become super religious, or you become the scientist, or you become an asshole like Cotterd. <laughs> uh, Roe, he goes to see his asthma patient one more time. There's that head case who had all these wild theories. He goes, it seems the best way to die was from the plague. <laughs> he kind of got a little bit of glory, too, because your relatives got to go, yeah, I lost... Uncle Jenkins to coronavirus. <laughs> and that should make you feel good. There is an odd pride quote that some of the town residents take in having survived the plague. They will honor the dead with a memorial before the returning to their old lives and activities as if nothing happened. <laughs> Dude, I bet in like five years, everybody's going to forget about breast cancer marches and we're going to be doing Omicron polar plunges. <laughs> When Roe watches the public rejoice at the end, he's going, I'm forced to agree that although humans forget, it's what we do. We're good at it. <laughs> Silly stuff. Yeah, we're going to, again, burn all the bodies. We got a final quote from, this will give away who the narrator was the entire book. Whew. 
The Bacillus microbe can lie dormant for years, and for that reason, the Chronicle does not record a final victory by any means. There you go. Dr. Rose went full circle. I don't care if you live in a bouncy house. I don't care if you live in a bubble. I don't care if you're gigavaxxed. I don't care if you got Johnson Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer. Ain't nobody cheating death. When your time comes, your time is here. To stoic up some of this existentialism, don't passively accept death. Go piss into the wind. Start smuggling things. Enjoy the time that you have. If you're a slave to your habits, are you really alive or are you just a habit? Camus is a master of rebellion and freedom. Quote, a human life is an explicable, irrational, completely absurd death sentence. Nevertheless, that's a triple word score for me. Nevertheless, you can still give that suffering some meaning. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it. The Plague by Albert Camus. Thank you all for staying tuned. We will not be talking about plagues for a very, very, very long time. Hopefully, that is. If you do like the topic, head over to the Patreon. We got whip clips discussing the touchiest topics alive. Stay tuned for next week because, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we got a good one. This is going to be a silly one. I'll be taking on a character. Ladies and gentlemen, in seven short days, we have got new alpha male. In a world of female empowerment, lowering testosterone, increasing soy. This book is long overdue, baby. I'm going to get to embody my most sigma male. You ever felt the power of a nuclear reactor in the palm of your hand? That's how masculinity feels. I'm going to throw a baseball 100 miles an hour into your cooch. That's right, baby. Pure fucking masculinity. I want to thank you guys one final time for tuning in to another edition of Nick's Nonfiction. Let me get a random soundboard effect to take us out. Very dramatic. Make sure you are checking out Harry Schwan on Instagram, patreon.com slash the niche. I'll see you guys in seven short days. I love you all. Take it easy out there. Peace.